Let's go ahead and pray and we'll ask God's blessing on our time. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for one more opportunity on your day to gather together and uh, around your word and to hear from you about you. And we thank you for the privilege of doing this. And we pray that even as we look at your goodness tonight, that all-encompassing attribute of yours, we ask that you would give us a better understanding of what it is and that we would taste and see that you are good. And so I pray for that now. Guide us by your spirit in truth and in love. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's look at Exodus 33 again. If you remember, as we're going through the doctrine of God, we're just doing it with Scripture passages. This time is, again, once again, Exodus 33 and uh, Exodus 34 next time. And we'll look at some of the things that God says here with Moses uh, about himself that help us uh, know him more. And our goal, of course, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Remember, that's the Shema from Deuteronomy 4. The word Shema in Hebrew means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And they recite that, a, a faithful Jew would, every day as a reminder of their priority in life. And that is the Lord and knowing him and worshiping him and serving him and loving him. Remember, we don't want to get lost in any doctrine of God's studies and attributes of God and not see that the goal of it all is to love him. And then love will be expressed in, uh, yes, affections for God, because I do believe affections for God need to be there. There is much the Bible talks about, about his people having affections for him, like really loving him. Sometimes we say, well, you know, love isn't just a feeling, it's an action, it's true. Love results in things, um, but there's also the element where God wants us to really enjoy him and admire him and love him, right? And that's our goal. And then as Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that love that we have for the Lord is expressed in uh, obedience and dedication to him. I remember there was one particular uh, NCO when I was in the Air Force, and uh, he was a—he was just really liked by the guys. I mean, all of the airmen, the you know, the younger guys, really admired him, and so he was the one that could always get the most uh, respect and obedience from all the guys. They just loved him, and even if he was hard on them for some reason, they accepted that, and they didn't want to disappoint him in any way, and so it was like, it's just this, this uh, love that they had for him made them more willing to serve him, but to, you know, an infinite, in, infinite degree more, God is worthy of love and our admi admiration and glory, and to be able to serve him in that way. And as we study about God in, in the doc, have a doctrine of God class, our goal is to love him. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And then remember in Exodus 33, where are the people of Israel? Let's just review real quick. 
Let's set the context again. Where are they? Yeah, they're in the wilderness. They're at Sinai. Moses goes up onto the mount. He's receiving the instructions, the law from God. And immediately, what do they do? They, he's gone for a short time, and immediately, what do they do? They, they uh, make an idol and worship it and throw a, a very ungodly party right then and there. And, and Moses declares that idol to be Yahweh, you know. And so there's this real immediate rebellion, right? Just as somebody say something. Aaron, yes, Aaron, right, yep. And, uh, and, and uh, immediately there's this rebellion against God and what he had directed them to do and not to do. And yet, now, the Lord says to Moses, remember, uh, go down there, I'm going to do away with these people and I'm going to, it almost starts a new Abrahamic covenant with Moses, remember, I'm gonna make a new nation now from you and the Moses intercedes showing us that beautiful picture of our need of an intercessor Um, and Moses does that God turns Moses was very concerned we looked at this last time about the presence of Yahweh with them if you will not go with us we don't I don't want to go if you're not going to be with me we don't want to go that kind of thing and the Lord then assures him of the presence in verse 14 my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then down in verse uh, uh, 18, this is what we looked at last time. Moses said, please show me your glory. Remember that word, glory, how we just analyze that, both Old and New Testament, Old Testament being kabod. Anybody remember what that word means? Just in its very most literal sense. Weight, right? Heaviness weightiness and you know the more uh, weight something had the the more kabod it had the more glory it had and so of course it's easy for us then to trans transfer that right to god there here is one with infinite weightiness and worth and value and then we looked at the new testament that word uh in that new testament greek word doxa and that had a slightly different nuance when we think about glory. Anybody remember what that was? Light, right, or radiance. <clears throat> so now we're talking about something that can be seen ultimately. And we talked about how God's glory can be manifested in various ways and in different times and places, sometimes very directly with that beaming light that we think about when we think about glory coming from God or what heaven might look like. And we try to imagine that and we're thinking about brightness. When you think about heaven and the presence of God, you don't think about a dark room, you know, or or haziness or whatever. You you think about brightness and white and glory that radiates uh, from the being of God. And so we talked about the fact that God is glorious uh, God is glory, and we, we then talked about the fact that, you know, God manifests, we can see God's glory now. What Moses is probably asking for is to see, you know, a full, you know, uh, display of the visible glory of God. I think that's probably what Moses has in his mind, because God says, no one can see that and live, 
But, and that leads us into this week now, what does he say in verse 19? He said, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Then he went on to say, though, you cannot see my face and live, for man shall not see me and live. And then if you skip forward to, remember, verse 34, or chapter 34, and uh, when the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, verse 5, that was verse 5, and then verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worship. So when God's going to make all his uh, goodness pass before Moses, one of the things that happens in that moment in God displaying his glory in, in making his goodness pass before him, right? Because we're talking about his goodness coming as a reply or as a reply to the question, show me your glory. And in that he's, he's proclaiming his name and he's proclaiming attributes about himself. And really both 33 and 34, we're talking about now attributes of God so that what we can see, we cannot now see visible, the visible display of the, of the glory of God in the sense that you'll see it when you enter into heaven, right? But yet, how do you see it? And we can see it, heavens declare the glory of God. We talked about that last week, all those things. But we see it in Scripture and we see it in God's attributes of goodness for us. And we see it in the display of the gospel. And so as we're studying these attributes, we're seeing the glory of God, right? It's an answer to what Moses is saying. Show me your glory. One day, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is a manifested glory we're going to see if we're alive, and I would hope that's the case. I hope we're all alive and Christ breaks through, and, and Jesus in Matthew 24 made a big deal about this in 25. When he comes, he's going to come in glory, right, with all his angels, and it's going to be this demonstration of his glory. I hope that's the case. But maybe not. Maybe we pass away uh, from this uh, world to before then and we go enter in his glory and we see it. But that's not what we're looking for right now when we're thinking about the glory of God. We're not thinking about that visible manifestation of the glorious presence of God. Okay, that's not what we're pursuing right now. We're pursuing that for later. That's what we want. We're chasing that glory. That's why we're living for that glory now right, so that we get to see it and be in it and live in it forever, Revelation 21, 22. But this is the way we see his glory now, okay? We see it in scripture. We see it in his, things like his goodness, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so let's talk about this next attribute then, this attribute of his goodness. Um, I will make all my goodness pass before you, all right, now let's talk about 
the goodness of God. I'm going to call this an all-encompassing attribute. I'll explain what I mean. An all-encompassing attribute. Not that all of his attributes aren't all-encompassing of God. We learned about the doctrine of simplicity and you can't divide God up into pieces. He's all of what he is and all his fullness. But his goodness is really an inherent quality of God that manifests itself in everything he does and says. And the reason I'm making a, a, a big deal about that is because I think sometimes we may think of God's goodness only in terms of what we perceive he does or says that is good. And then we might ascribe other things he does, but not necessarily ascribe that to his goodness. Okay? And I'll explain, let me uh, kind of work this out for you. I'm just putting that forward for you, but I'm gonna work it out, okay? When I put together my doctrinal statement in order to be ordained back in Illinois uh, a number of years ago now, I, um, I, divide, I was following the outline of a, of a guy, I, a man I respect who was a former pastor in South Carolina and a professor and things. And I divided up as he did. And I'm not saying this is wrong or bad. This is how many people do it. God's attributes. So when you come to the doctrine of God in a doctrinal statement, I divided his attributes up between the attributes of his greatness and his goodness. Okay? And this is the way many, so if you got a systematic theology book and you came to the doctrine of God and you're going through that and, and uh, you get to the, uh, the do, you know, t- talking about his, the attributes of God, they, many will do that. Let's divide these up into the attributes of his greatness over here and his goodness over here. And so under greatness, there are things like, and I looked at my doctrinal statement just to refresh my memory, the attributes of his greatness would be his holiness or his sovereignty or his eternality or his omnipotence or his omnipresence or his omniscience or his immutability, okay? And we'd say, we'd think of those things, well, wow, this is, these are the greatness of God. Maybe, the, maybe thinking these are the things that really make him unique that are attributes only of God's can't be uh, really given to others. But then there's the attributes of his goodness, and I had things like this, loving, just, righteous, faithful, true, merciful, and forgiving, okay? Now, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do, but if I were doing my doctrinal statement again for ordination, I would redo that. The reason I would redo it is because what does that communicate to us? Let me just put that out and ask the question. If I say, well, an attribute of his greatness, that would be his sovereignty. An attribute of his goodness, now that would be more of his mercy. What am I doing? Separate personalities? Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so, so I'm avoid, what I would do is, I'm, I'm subtly, but, but when theologians read these things, they know what they're thinking. So they understand that what I'm saying isn't, 
if we parse it out 100% accurate. But what I'm afraid is it communicates something different to people. So if I say that God, oh, this is a, this is a big one here. If I say um, God is just and therefore, what does a just God have to do with sinners? He punishes, he judges, right? He condemns. Now, when you think of the act of condemnation, does goodness pop into your mind when you think of that? You would only think, you might think like this, if you're thinking like a normal person, okay? You're thinking, well, can condemnation, it's not goodness, but if God shows, right, grace, well, there we go. Like, I can work with that. That's goodness, you see what I mean? And I'm, what I'm trying to argue is that although we can divide God's, we can, we can divide some of these up into things like that, greatness and goodness, but we can really be miscommunicating something and actually start to think in a direction that I think God would not want us to, as though his justice isn't good. That's why I'm saying in this attribute of God's goodness, and God's saying, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Let me talk to you about that, uh, my goodness. And I will show mercy to some and not to others. I'll forgive and pardon iniquity, and I'll pass over iniquity, etc. But I will not hold him who is guilty blameless. We don't want to take those things and those acts of God and say, that's not an act of his goodness. Okay. So we want to be careful if we would say, you know, so, say uh, God is good, but he's also just. Or we say it with love. We'll do that. Love is another attribute that we got to be careful with. Well, God is love, but he's also this. As though this isn't a manifestation of his infinite love of his being and character. When actually when you think about goodness or you think about justice and you think about uh, condemnation, a loving and just God is the kind of God who would do those things. And an unloving and ungood God wouldn't do those things, you see. He wouldn't be good if he didn't. So I'm asking us to be careful about this attribute and how we think about things like that in our minds uh, when, it, when it applies to God. In other words, everything God is and does is good. It's an inherent quality of who he is. Everything he does is good, okay? That makes sense? That, that intuitive for us as Christians, right? I mean, we would say that God, you are good. Sometimes we say we, we have a, a phrase that Christians will use, and it's, it's a good phrase, a good reminder of when things are going wrong, and we say, God is good all the time, right? God is good all the time. The situation is bad. There's no denying a bad situation, but, this, but God in and through the situation and even in his sovereign direction of me through the situation that is bad is good. And his decision to walk me through all of this and call me to it is a good decision. It's the right one. 
I used this at uh, Rich's memorial service a couple weeks ago for those of you who were there. And I expressed the fact that we had prayed for Rich's healing, you know, from the time I knew him for the last probably four or five years maybe or so. And, and the Lord didn't do that and uh, called him to be with himself. And I said, there's parts of us obviously that say, I wish God would have did this differently. But we in this moment have to believe, this is where true faith, real gritty, you know, real faith in God has to go to the place where it says, but God, you are good and your decision in this was good. And we trusted you in this and it's good. What you have done is good, you see. So, so that is very important for us in a world filled with suffering and sorrow and heartache and disappointment to understand the inherent goodness of God and that God is good. He is always good and everything he does is good, right? Okay, good. Now, um, I cheated this week. This is total cheating and that's okay because uh, I have a purpose in my cheating and that is this, I have, I, this is what I was going to print out for you, and it's a lot more than this. It's like it would have been the whole page filled up on a Word document. This, uh, these paragraphs that I'm about to read and we're going to walk through actually come from uh, the website gotquestions.org. Does anybody go there? Yeah, look at this, good. And part of my purpose in doing this was to introduce you to this website because uh, uh, I personally, this, this website's been going for a number of years. I think, the, doesn't he have connection around here or something? He used to come here, see? There you go. Okay, and now where is he now? He's Okay, all right. Um, that's, that's really cool. I, I thought, he had, I heard he had a connection to camp or something, I think Aaron said once, but... Okay. Wow, that's great. So this guy was a result of evangelism out of this congregation. Hey, there you go. Wish I could take credit for it, but I can't because I wasn't here yet. But no, that's wonderful. But if you, it's called God Questions. So if you haven't used this website, if you Google search, you know, what is God's goodness? One of the top, and you can even do like, what is God goodness? God's goodness got questions. So you make sure you pop it up. But I've, I've used this website a number of times just for real quick uh, things or like tough texts that you're like, what in the world does that mean? I check and see if they did anything on it because they have. Now they're doing um, some videos I see when you go onto this webpage and they're doing some videos in addition to what the writing and stuff. So it's real good. So part of my purpose was to introduce you to this website. There's a few of them that are really trustworthy, reputable websites is one. But anyway, so here is a good doctrine of God's goodness as he carefully walked through this biblically. And this would be an example too of how if you were gonna do a study on an attribute of God or something to the, to, like that where you would just walk through what Scripture says about that topic. That's what we talked about being systematic theology. What does the whole Bible teach about God's goodness? You combine those things and then you can make statements just like this, okay? So anybody could do something like this, but... All right, let's go through this. So Jesus declared, and this is a key verse, by the way, when we talk about the goodness of God... 
Jesus declared, no one is good except God alone. That was to the rich young ruler, okay? And the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, says, good teacher, what must I do to, uh, I forget how the question was worded, but have eternal life or enter into the kingdom or whatever it was. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good, right, except God alone. Now, we might have a bunch of questions about that, but here is a proposition that Jesus says, something that is very clear about God. He is uniquely good, right? And in addition to that, uh, that means that human beings by nature, no matter who they are, are not good. Uh, this is we, no problem here because we walked through Romans 3 and we saw that no one does good, no one is righteous, right? So this attribute of God's goodness separates him from all of us. It's one of the attributes, obviously, that separates us. What God does now in the new birth and with the new heart that he gives Christians is he does make us good, now you have a righteous heart and you've got the Holy Spirit so that you can go about your life doing good and it really matters to God. Like, you know what he says in Isaiah, like uh, he says to them, all your good works are like filthy rags. Well, don't apply that to yourself. That's not applied to you. All your good works as far as you trying to do good in order to gain salvation or be, make yourself right with God, that would be a true statement. He doesn't accept them. But the good you do now that comes from him is truly good, all right? But inherently, there is only one that good, that is God. 1 John 1.5 tells us that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. We think about the doctrine of God, we're thinking in terms of light and darkness as in, you know, uh, sin or moral defectiveness and darkness, whereas with God there is nothing in him. If you, you can't do it, but if you searched out the, his infinite eternal being, you would not ever come across something like some speck of darkness or not goodness in him at all. He is entirely good right to say that God is good means that he that God always acts in accordance to what is right true and good excuse me goodness is a part of God's nature and he cannot contradict his nature Holiness and righteousness are part of God's nature. He cannot do anything that is unholy or unrighteous. God is the standard of all that is good. Now that's important in our cultural context, right? Because we don't define what's good. The culture doesn't define what's good. Who defines what's good? God. He's the ultimate standard. So if somebody says, well, I I don't know, I'm a pretty good person. Right? Well, by whose standard? God's or their own in comparison to other people, you know? If they haven't killed somebody, they're like, I, I mean, I've, it's always followed with something like that. You know, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've never killed anybody, you know? Like that's the ultimate <laughs> measure of somebody that's good that just hasn't committed murder. But anyway, okay, um, 
The fact that God is good means that he has no evil in him. His intentions and motivations are always good. He always does what is right, and the outcome of his plan is always good. I, I have, uh, well, they have their Genesis fifty twenty. Anybody remember what that was? Yeah, it was the account of Joseph with his brothers. And they were apologizing to him. And um, he said, well, you meant what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. There's another example, right, of an understanding of God's goodness being worked in human tragedy and injustice, okay? That God's goodness is still working through that. Joseph saw it all those years of um, injustice happening against him there in Egypt. And, uh, <clears throat> and yet he never lost sight of the fact that God is good and does good. Uh, there is nothing unpleasant, evil, or dark in him. The Bible teaches that God's goodness extends from his nature to everything that he does. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 100 verse 5. Everything that God made was originally good. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Uh, I would say that it was impossible it would be, I think it's right to say, it'd be impossible for it not to be as creation came from God, as he brings all things into existence in, it, in their goodness. God's goodness, this is important, guys, God's goodness is showcased in the law he gave to Israel. The law is holy, righteous, and good. Uh, look at Romans 7 uh, for a second. And I think this is important in our daily lives to think through. When we think of the law, um, the law is problematic for us. That is no, uh, that is right to say. It, it, it presents a problem to sinners. The law, Paul said in uh, Romans 5, just as we looked at this morning, the law was brought in to increase sin. In other words, uh, he was teaching in Romans 5 there that you know, sin was in the world and death reigned from Adam to Moses even before the written law came in, okay? So death was still there even when there wasn't a direct command from God so that the people who sinned in that time, they sinned, but they didn't sin against an express command of God like Adam did, okay? But then at the end of that passage, he talks about when the law came in, it came in to increase sin. In other words, when we see the law of God, we see the righteous standard of a good God, and then we see how sinful we are. This is why Ray Comfort has made all of his evangelism about bring the law to him. Just get them to see, like Jesus did, their failures of God's holy and righteous and good law, and then they'll you know, let the Spirit do his work and they see their need of a Savior, okay? But you think, you think about it, when we think about the law, um, Paul says in Romans seven sixteen, um, in in Romans seven now what what Paul is doing remember is he's saying I don't really understand my own actions. I have a desire to do what is right that God's given me, but I can't figure out how to fully flesh this out in my life, and I keep doing the very things I hate. Right? It's like when you when you recognize sin in your life. 
and you begin to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, learn to walk in the spirit in this area and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this sin to death and I'm going to get some holiness going in that area of my life. What you soon realize is what Paul is bemoaning in Romans 7, this battle, this uh, very frustrating, very confusing battle with this inward principle of your flesh, your sin, okay? But when you fail, what does he say? When you break the law, He says in verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, that is, if I sin, I agree with the law that it is good. See, what a tendency might be for us is to say the law is too rigid or God's commands are too strict or I can't uphold it or even to go to the route of saying that's not, this isn't what good, this is good. Wanting to make our own law. Wanting to make our own standard for what is right and wrong. But when we sin, we need to acknowledge that the law comes from a good God and it is holy and righteous and good, okay? And then, of course, James 1.17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. God can create only what is good because he is fully good, okay? God did not create evil, Habakkuk 1.3, 1 John 1.5. Rather, evil is the absence of goodness, It is whatever God is not. Because of his goodness, God abhors sin and will judge it someday. And a matter of fact, Paul in Romans 13 will tell us, no, Romans 12, abhor what is evil and cleave to what is good. That's where Christians want to do. God's goodness causes him to abhor what is evil, right? Habakkuk is the verse that actually says, uh, Habakkuk there, uh, 113, I think is the one he says, um, you are of too pure of eyes to behold evil. And the idea is it's repulsive to God, okay? But, um, okay, because of his goodness, God abhors sin and will judge it someday. Am I in the right place? Okay, yeah. Um, it is never the will of our God, our good God for us to sin. We read that this morning, right? God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God's goodness should lead to thankfulness on our part. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. However, people do not naturally want to follow or thank God. Instead, and he quotes John 3.19 here, people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In other words, again, what John's bringing out is our natures are opposed to this good, so when it's put forth, we don't want it by nature. That's why God has to work in us. Um, In the Old Testament, the Israelites repeatedly rejected God's good law for God is goodness toward them and were unfaithful to him They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. And ultimately, God's goodness, ultimately, God's goodness is seen in his plan to redeem us from sin. The gospel is good news. In his goodness, God sent his son to become the perfect and blameless sacrifice so we could be forgiven of our sins. God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, and it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance, Romans 2.4. There is only one who is fully and truly good, that is God. 
this good God invites us to seek him and to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Now, I want to park here for a second on that uh, Psalm 34, 8. But before I do that, let me just pause. Any thoughts on that? Was that helpful to you? Is that a helpful website that you might use in the, in the future? I think it is. It's a good summary. It does that with a lot of things and even some of the tricky questions. Okay, so if you come across tricky stuff and you're thinking about it, do a little Google search. Sometimes what I do, I do a Google search and I'll see got questions and I'll check out what he's got. Sometimes I'll do a Google search and I'll put Ligonier at the end. Those of you who know Ligonier Ministries, uh, R.C. Sproul's former one, especially with theological things. They've done a lot of good writing on things like that. So there's helpful website things, and there's not so helpful website things. And um, I'll introduce you to some of those, but it sounds like many of you have already seen these. Anything on that, what he put together? Okay. All right, so uh, one more thing I want to cover with this. Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All right. Let's park on this for a minute and really think about what this command really is for us. But what does he mean by taste? Taste and see. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, so he fully experienced death. And so this idea of tasting something would be experiential. Because you're spooked by that word, yeah. right? Because you're thinking of ooey-wooey yeah. things. But I'm saying I think that would be a right word. In other words, when we think about tasting something and seeing something, it's, it's something we're experiencing, right? If I'm tasting food, it's one thing, if you describe to me, if I've never had chocolate cake, and you said, man, chocolate cake is really good, okay? It's brown and round, and it's soft and sweet and all those things, and I say, oh, I see, yeah, and I'm like, I don't know, though, and then I taste it. And I'm convinced, which I would be, because I love chocolate cake, that this is good. Okay? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Which means there also is the thought that maybe Christian people sometimes can know about the goodness of God but have never really internally experienced it. Is that possible, you think? And is it possible that somebody could have really good theology about God and could teach about the goodness of God just because of what the Bible says and never have internally for themselves experienced the goodness of God? Right, relationship, in, in a good relation, in a real relationship with God. Good. We see his goodness. It's an invitation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. And isn't God good to invite us into his goodness and to experience his goodness in our lives? That's a good thing he does. Something, by the way, of which he was under really no obligation to do with even the Israelites who were so rebellious against him and rejected him constantly. And even in the context of Exodus 33, there is this invitation, though, to us, to sinners, to bad people, which we all are. Jesus said it. There's only one who's good. That's God. To bad people, this invitation to, in, to experience the goodness of God. What is it like to experience the goodness of God? What is it? To love him more, that would be a good result, wouldn't it? To, to experience him, to taste and see. So, so we, but we see this invitation, taste and see. How do we do that? What do I do to do that? Because I want to. I want to experience the goodness of God. You know, the Lord is good. Yeah, so f- Yeah, so so there's an element of faith in there, right? Where you are uh going to by faith believe that God is good and you are a bad person in a world filled with bad and you want to experience the goodness of God even through the bad and be able to testify to others say yes, the Lord is good. Let me tell you about this good God. So, and I don't have, by the way, I don't have any specific things I'm looking for, but I'm just asking that so, because sometimes we fly by these things and we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's right. That's good. But then we never really think about, well, how would I do that? Because I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where God is taking the Lord's Supper, where when we taste it, it's, we're, it reminds us of yeah. his goodness, just like that smell of a chocolate cake takes us, reminds us of a, of a good thing. Right. So on days where we're like, I just don't get it, I don't know if God's real, life sucks, I got cancer, mm. you take the Lord's Supper and it takes you like, no, no, this is something that's tangible for me that has reminded me of what I already know. Right, so yes. Oh, yeah. I think that would be, yeah, that'd be exactly, and it's one of the reasons God gives us tangible things to experience. Uh, when Jesus freaked everybody out in John 6, right, and he said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, what he's meaning is you need to ingest me by faith, and then in his goodness gives us things like the Lord's Supper and corporate worship and the Word of God. I mean, every morning we get up is the goodness of God displayed in the Word, Yes, and we can ingest the word. And then what we do by faith is we trust the spirit then as we ask God to, we say, God, show me your goodness and show it to me from scripture and let me see this and experience this and ingest this. And then as you go through life and as I think I, I, I was just talking to somebody not too long ago how they, they've walked through some hard time and tragedy and they saw 
the goodness of God in different things that happened. And they were like, now I've tasted and seen in another way the goodness of God. And so I think it's all of these things. That's why I say, wasn't just one, you know, there's not just one answer. It's all of these things. And as we walk with the Lord, as we seek the Lord, and yes, there is the idea in, in Hebrews that, you know, um, you, you approach the Lord, you must believe that he is, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, Right? He's a rewarder of those who seek him. So there is an element of, by faith, I'm going to seek the Lord. By faith, I'm going to come and worship. By faith, I'm going to be in the word. By faith, I'm going to pray today and, and, and look to the Lord. I'm going to sing to him. I'm, whatever it is in these ways in which then the Lord ministers to our heart as goodness, he shows it in our lives. And as you grow in the goodness of, or in, in your relationship with the Lord, you look back over years, if you've been growing, you say, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord does good. And, and you you experience this in your life. There are sometimes it is a, a, a sad case, but it is true that there are Christian people or professing Christian people who it does feel like their relationship with God is on paper, okay? But it's not internalized. And that's what the Bible is moving us towards by faith to have this internal relationship that works its way out in our lives and uh, that is produced by the Spirit. You know, the Spirit reveals to us the things freely given us by God. First Corinthians, right? One and two, the Spirit does this in us. And uh, so anyway, so we want to, uh, we want to uh, uh, pursue God's goodness, internalize God's goodness, worship Him for His goodness, see His goodness in everything. And, uh, and that's it. Good. Any other question on good? Yeah, Dave? Yeah, Right, yes. Yeah, and I just, uh, yeah. What a great example of, you know, God is always good. Yeah, that's right. Good. All right. Very cool. Yeah. 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 Right. Yes. Because I think there is that where uh, the, the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance, Romans 2, right? It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And the more you taste and see that the Lord is good, the more these other things that are bad that maybe earlier in your life tasted so good to you or whatever, uh, lose their taste and almost get to the point where I, I heard one guy once describing his um, a sin he was dealing with and he said it had to become like it was vomit in my mouth to me. That's what it taste, that sin was if I were to give in to that, you see. Almost that disgustingness. Well, that's a work of the spirit, of course. But as God's, it's the thing that really drowns out, especially sins of pleasure, is pleasure in God. 
This is just the way it is. The more pleasure in God, the delight in God, really is a drowning effect for anything else because you lose your taste in that. It's kind of like when, you, when you're not in shape and you're eating what you shouldn't be eating all the time and too much of it, and then all of a sudden you start eating healthy. At first, it's like, yeah, the health food. But after a time, then you almost, don't, you almost lose some of the taste for uh, you know, eating things that are bad. You, you start to enjoy the good. But to a much greater degree, the Lord's goodness is what we're, uh, we're after. Yeah, Kim. Right, yeah. I think that could be included in it, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, and I, I think sometimes there, uh, with, our, with anything with like joy or experiencing goodness of God in our lives or, you know, whatever it may be, there is a sense where sometimes we got to just get up and, and, and engage our senses into this thing to fight against everything else, you know, talk out loud, pray out loud, you know, whatever it's got to be to engage the senses in that, experience this, do, you know, whatever, so. All right, good. Yeah, Betty. The paper that you're reading there, yeah. The yes, it is. There? Yeah. Can you copy those so we can have I can. Yeah, I sure can. If once I get, once those start working, I can get that printed out for you. Otherwise, if you go on the internet, you can just go to Got Questions dot org and you can have it on there but oh i think i just uh because i did a general google search of just uh the goodness of god or something to that effect and all those will start popping up all right well hey so you know i'm not gonna be here next week but there is class and there is a special guest speaker and i'm not gonna tell you who it is but you're gonna be Really surprised that we were able to get this guest teacher here, okay? So I'm going to leave you in suspense on that. And it is going to be on the doctrine of God and um, on a certain element of the doctrine of God. This man is more qualified than I am to speak on the doctrine of God. So I'm going to leave you with that. And. Uh, I'm sure we're going to show up. <laughs> 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 huh? What? What? I'm sorry. That was all, that's the time for our class, Valerie. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Thank God for our time. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your uh, love to us. And I know every person in this room, God, wants to, they know your goodness and they want to know more of your goodness. And so... Please help us with that in your goodness. Help us with that. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, amen.